generation is rising on an emerging generation of kings. All right, so let's dig into the word of God, Matthew chapter 14. I'm going to be reading from verse 13 all the way to verse 21. Matthew 14. Matthew 14, verse 13. Excuse me, through 21. The word says, when Jesus heard it, he departed from there. What did Jesus hear? He, had, he heard that his cousin John the Baptist had been beheaded. Right. So when he heard that, he departed from there by boat to a deserted place or a solitary place by himself. But when the multitudes heard it, they followed him on foot from the cities. And when Jesus went out, he saw a great multitude. And he was moved with compassion for them and healed their sick. Isn't this amazing that Jesus had things to sort out, resolve by himself and his humanity, but he did not overlook the needs of other people. And this is going to come in handy as we begin to talk about God's prosperity system. That we must be willing to look beyond ourselves, must be willing to look away from what we consider to be our own piercing and pressing plot problems. So that we can be available to the conduits to minister to other people, to resource other people. It's not very easy, but it's part of what God would have us do. And when Jesus went out to say, great multitude, and he was moved with compassion for them and healed their sick. Verse 15. When it was evening, his disciples came to him saying, this is a deserted place and the hour is already late. Send the multitudes away that they may go into the villages and buy themselves food but jesus said to them they do not need to go away you give them something to eat does it sound familiar the solution is not far from you and they said to him we have here only five loaves and two fish and he said bring them to me then he commanded the multitudes to sit on the grass and he took the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven he blessed and broke and gave the loaves to the disciples. And the disciples gave to the multitudes. So they all ate and were filled. And they took up 12 baskets full of fragments that remained. Now those who had eaten were about 5,000 men besides women and children. So we see in the story lack in that space. Temporary lack in that space, a situation of insufficiency in that space. But all of a sudden, the tides turn. Why? Because God's prosperity plan was aligned with. And every time you align yourself with God's prosperity plan, it does not matter what the lack is, what number of mouths to feed are, what the urgency of the situation is, no matter how desperate it is, if you can align with God's prosperity system, what happened here is going to happen to you. What happened here, the Bible says, they all ate. Everyone in your house, everyone in your organization, everyone in your family will eat the goodness of the Lord, will eat the fatness of the earth, will eat that which God has ordained for you, for them, in the name of Jesus Christ. So see that now, whenever we align with God's prosperity system, lack is displaced with abundance. They didn't just have enough. They had excess. Somebody shout excess. Somebody shout abundance. Somebody shout increase. Let me just announce to you that whenever it is you're asking God for loaves of bread, He gives you so much more than loaves of bread. He multiplies it for even those who are connected to you. Whenever you're asking God for a cup of water, you might as well get ready for a well. Whenever you're asking God for a grain, get ready for a whole plantation. Whenever you're asking God for a tiny little bit handout, he gives you a massive hand up. Whenever you're asking God for survival, he gives you the grace to thrive and to flourish. Whenever you're asking God just to tie through today, then he reveals and releases things to you that will impact you positively. For the rest of your days. Do you believe that somebody. Somebody shouts GPS. I wanted to shout where you are. Shout GPS. Prosperity system. Let's go real quick to the uh, text. We examined last week. Before we begin to unpack those things. If you go real quick to the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 26. Genesis 26. And we'll see that story. Of Isaac. From verse 12. 
It says, Then Isaac sowed in the land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. And the Lord blessed him. Isaac sowed in that land, dry land, deserted land, a land that people were angry with. It was famine in the land. But Isaac sowed in that land <laughs> and reaped in that same year a hundredfold. And the Lord blessed him. The man began to prosper and continued prospering until he became very prosperous. And, and God doesn't just stop there. He explains this dimension of prosperity. It said that he had possessions of flocks and possessions of herds and a great number of servants to help him manage the possessions that he had can i prophesy over somebody's life right now it does not matter how dry you feel how empty your bank account seems how empty and hollow your heart feels i proclaim by the power of god that in the season of your life you begin to align with god's prosperity plan is that god's prosperity system is not something you build it's not something you make happen it's something that already exists you don't need to create your own sun to get warm. You don't need to create your own water to get wet. You don't need to create your own fire. Fire already exists. Come on, somebody. When I say fire already exists, I mean the concept of fire. You might have to strike some stones, but fire is not your invention. Come on. Right? The sun is not your invention. All you need to do to be warm is to expose yourself to it. The water is not your invention. All you need to do is to align yourself with a shower or dunk yourself in the bath. I don't know if you've had your bath today, but it doesn't matter. All you need to do is to align. God's prosperity system is already there. And I pray today that as we look into this word, your mind begins to prosper. Your heart begins to prosper. Every kind of poverty mentality, scarcity mentality is broken over your life. No matter how long it's been hanging over your family, brooding over your household, monitoring your life. I proclaim that that comes to an end today in the name of Jesus Christ. Somebody shout no more begging. Shout no more lack. Somebody shout no more poverty. I am aligned with the prosperity system of God. My mind changes. My heart increases. My heart is exposed to truth. My expectation is heightened. My desire is intensified. I align with the prosperity plan of God. Father, we receive this today as a reality. Teach us, sweet Holy Spirit, debunk the myths. Break every table that needs to be broken. Uproot the dark seeds of negative thinking wrong ideologies and help us to grow and thrive in line with your will as we look unto Jesus and we see how throughout his life he never begged throughout his life he did not take a loan throughout his life he walked miracles of abundance Lord we align with that today and our testimonies will speak to the credibility and the authenticity of this word that we share and teach in Jesus name we have prayed amen come on somebody just write in the comment box Right now, say, I align with the prosperity system of God, with God's prosperity system. I align with God's prosperity system. So we've been looking at this for a couple of weeks now. If you have not been a part of the service from the onset, I encourage you strongly to pay attention to our YouTube channel and to listen to the two messages preceding this one so you can have a full picture of what it is that God is leading us through in this season. Now, I know that some people get concerned whenever you begin to hear teachings about prosperity and increase, but let me assure you that there's a difference between prosperity and materialism. Materialism is not of God, but prosperity is definitely from God. God's idea is for you not only to survive, not only for you to get by, but for you to do well, for you to thrive, for you to have more than enough so that you can also share with other people. God wants you to be an active part of a supply chain in the earth. And the truth of the matter is today there is so much poverty almost everywhere you turn, right? You have to be intentional not to allow the poverty that is pervasive in the culture to overwhelm you and to make you feel guilty for having more than enough. See, the thing therefore is that poverty really is not God's plan. Poverty is not God's idea. Poverty is a reflection of a breakdown in the systems of men. There is nothing past about poverty. I'm jumping the gun, but let me just establish this. And the truth is you cannot be effective. You cannot be sustainably effective in helping the poor if you are poor yourself. One of the ways to help the poor 
is to not be poor yourself. And there is nothing that glorifies God about your poverty. I want you to understand that. So as we look at this, you might have certain battles, certain contentions, you might have certain arguments. But don't forget that part of spiritual warfare is that arguments must be cast down. Paul is clear about that. It says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. We wrestle against principalities and powers. Then it tells in another place that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They are not material, but that they are spiritual and that they bring down strongholds. They cast down imaginations, images in action. They defeat long-standing ideologies, propositions, persuasions that are ungodly. So one of the major things that God is going to do today as I begin to teach, as the Spirit of God begins to illuminate your mind, is that you might have certain things that you struggle to accept. You have certain things you struggle to believe. But trust me, because your spirit cries, Abba, Father, your spirit bears witness to this, you will discover that all you need to do is to change your position. Change your position about supply. Change your position about abundance. Change your position about prosperity. Change your position about increase. I'm saying this so that when... The word begins to come and you feel some kind of resistance. You can remember that you are already prepared for this. Let me also make mention of the fact, as I start today, that you cannot save your way into prosperity. You don't save your way into prosperity. You align your way into prosperity. Having said that, understand that God has blessed all of his children. We see that in the word of God. Ephesians 1.3 says, Blessed be God, the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us. Watch this. With all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. Therefore, we do understand that every child of God is blessed. Every child of God has the seal, the insignia of God's endorsement. Every child of God, once you place your faith in Jesus Christ, you are blessed. Now, it is important for us to establish this, that the blessing is not material. Therefore, though every child of God is blessed, not every child of God is prosperous. And it's possible for you to be blessed and not prosperous. There's so many scriptures, but Joshua 1 8 is a reference that we're going to uh, use or pay attention to over and over again. God said, This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but thou shalt meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do all that is written. And it said, Joshua, when you do this, you will make your way prosperous. You will make your way prosperous, and you will have good success. That is what God said to Joshua. Now, with that in mind, it begins to tell me that even though Joshua was of the stock of Israel, and Joshua, the son of Nun, already was blessed because Israel was a blessed nation, God was saying to Joshua, you are the one who will take responsibility for your prosperity. I have given you the endorsement. I have given you the weight of gifts, anointings, capacities, ability. I have given you my word, my written code of conduct, my instructions. Now you... Meditate on those things and consistently align your thoughts, your actions, your decisions with them. So see that now. You've got to align your thoughts, your decisions and your actions so that the intangible or invisible blessing can have outlets in many areas, including the prosperity pipeline. So then what is the difference between the blessing and what is and, and prosperity? See, the blessing is a function of God's benevolence. Prosperity is a function of man's obedience. Obedience to the principles, to the patterns, to the promises and the conditions of the promises of God for different things, right? So some of the promises, we're going to look at them today, but Paul says that if you're not working, then you're not entitled to food. And that's a principle, right? So once you violate that, then you are not in alignment with the prosperity system of God. So the blessing is a function of God's benevolence. Prosperity is a function of man's obedience. The blessing is invisible. Prosperity is visible. The blessing is essentially a spiritual force of endorsement. But prosperity is essentially a natural fruit of alignment. So the blessing is about endorsement. Prosperity is about alignment. God blesses us and desires for us to prosper. But God does not force us to prosper. Ah. God does not force us to prosper. God leads us to prosper. It says that, you, that the Lord teaches us to profit. 
Now, fun can teach you, but it's your response to the teaching that determines how much you experience, how much transformation, how much results you experience from their teaching. I teach often. I run training programs. I have coaching sessions. But not everybody actually enjoys the transformation to the degree to which I desire that they will. Why? It is one thing for me to teach. It is one thing for me to train. It is one thing for me to coach. It's a totally different thing for those people to align with it. And I remember something my dad says very often. So often I, I thank my dad and my mom. I'm like, thank you for teaching us. Thank you for raising us five beautiful, lovely children, anointed, all involved in ministry in some way or the other, doing well, growing, not a nuisance to society. And I say to them, thank you so much. You know what they say to me? They say, oh yes, you can thank us so, but thank God and thank you for responding to the teaching. Why? Because they realize something. That no matter how great a teacher a person is, it's not just about their teaching, it's also about their response. Don't forget that Peter and Judas had the same teacher. Jesus, see, if he had asked Judas, who's your mentor? He would have said Jesus. <laughs> He's every person to us. But one turns out to be a leader of the next dimension of God's work in the earth, that's Peter. And the other one ends up taking his own life. One preaches, 3,000 people get saved. The other one betrays his master. So it's not just about the quality of the teaching. That's important. It's also about the attitude of the heart. It's also about the disposition of the heart. And so God can desire that you prosper. God can desire that you do well. God can desire that things turn out for you. But what is the disposition of your heart? Let's look at something real quick in the book of Psalms, chapter 35. Psalm 35, and watch this, people, verse 27. It said, Let them shout for joy and be glad, who favor my righteous cause, and let them say continually, Let the Lord be magnified, who has pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. So David is saying, Let them rejoice and be glad. Let there be joy. And it said, <laughs> the Lord be magnified who has pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. God takes pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. Watch this. How much more the prosperity of his sons. If the Lord is excited that those who serve him will be endowed, will receive increase, how much more? Will he be delighted over the prosperity of his sons? I wanted to type in the comment box, God rejoices over my prosperity. Uh -huh. Say to yourself, God rejoices over my prosperity. Oh, come on, somebody say louder. God rejoices over my prosperity. Let me read from the NIV. It says, may those who delight in my vindication shout for joy and gladness. May they always say, the Lord be exalted, who delights in the well-being of his servant. He delights in my well-being. Again, don't forget, this is not materialism. This is not opulence, but this is doing well. This is not having to beg, not having to wait on the benevolence of other people. God delights in that. Now, if God delights in that, how come some people never do it? Some people never enjoy it. Some people never prosper in it. It is similar to how the Bible says, God does not desire that anyone should perish, but all should come to repentance. Question, do all come to repentance? No. Why? Because every promise of God requires alignment by faith Evidence through actions. Let me say that again. Every promise of God requires alignment by faith. Evidence through action. So, Jesus has already died for the sins of the whole world. But so many people have rejected that gift. Have not accepted that gift. Some people have not heard about the gift. And similarly, the people today who have not heard about God's intention for us to prosper... So let me quickly give you five major reasons why many people, many believers still struggle. Even though God desires that they prosper and in fact also delights. You see, delight is higher than desire. God does not just desire that we do well. He delights in us to be well. He takes joy. What do you delight in? Think about maybe like your favorite ice cream. The one you're licking that ice cream. You're licking your lips, smacking your lips and you have that whole cream around your lips. 
you're excited about or you're eating the chunky chocolate cake come on people or you're watching your favorite tv show or you're doing business something you delighted the thrill that you have the bible says that god delights in the prosperity of his servant so why doesn't it happen let's look at a few things number one message and these are the five areas that you have to address if you're going to walk in god's prosperity system the message and the messaging that they've been exposed to the message that they've been exposed to can i propose to you that many people have been exposed to a poor jesus in fact some people have been exposed to a wretched jesus some people have been exposed to a jesus that was beggarly and had nothing and and was always at the beck and call of other people they don't realize that he's not just the king of the spiritual world he's also the king of the material world and so the riches of christ even though they are essentially about knowledge, wisdom, and revelation, we understand that even the material things are the offshoot of those intangible things, those invisible things. We understand by faith that the worlds were framed by the word of God. And so all the world's wealth belonged to God. Silver and gold are mine. God says the cattle on the thousand hills, they belong to me. He says, what will you give me? What house will you build for me? The wrong message will produce the wrong experience. Why? Because the level of your faith cannot exceed the quality of your message. The level of your faith does not exceed the quality of the message that you have heard, the message that you have believed, and the message you are acting on. And so what it means is if you've never heard any teaching about abundance, about prosperity, chances are that you're going to struggle. If you heard a teaching, it was not very clear, concise, it was not Bible-based, chances are that you're going to struggle. If you had a message that was clear, concise, Bible-based, but you did not believe in it, chances are that you're going to struggle. So Jesus is not a poor Jesus. And way back, I wish I could explain to you the history of poverty, the theology of poverty. The theology of poverty is not from God. The theology of poverty was put in place by some powerful people to keep believers contained, constrained, and confined. Why? Because they realize that there's something about economic power. There's something about capital. There's something about resource. Case in point, why did God, watch this, why did God just not deliver Israel and bring them out of Egypt just the way they were? Why did God insist on them asking the Egyptians for gold, for silver, for their precious stones, for their precious assets? Because God ordained that even concerning the earth, material resources are going to be used for his glory. Why didn't God just bring them out like that? <laughs> oh my goodness. Why? We're still going to talk about Abraham later and Job later and perhaps David and Solomon later and even Paul and Jesus later and the resources that they had that they generated by the gifts and the graces of God to establish. I'm trying to paint a picture for you that the message of poverty, the theology of poverty has done more harm than good to the church. And so there are dreams in people's hearts, but they, they feel like, oh, for those dreams to come to pass, God has to send an angel to bring me money. For those dreams to come to pass, God has to send a stranger. And not a lot of people have been trained to realize that as part of their access, what they have access to is the wisdom of God. And wisdom says, with me lie riches, honor, and long life. So many of us grew up in environments where we're taught money is bad. Money, does the Bible say money is bad? The Bible doesn't say money is bad. The Bible says the love of money is root of all evil. And I've told this before, let me say it again, that it's possible for you to have the love of money even without having money. Because people make it feel like it's only when they have money that, have, that deal with the love of money. No, there are people who are poor who still deal with the love of money. They love money too much to give it, too much to invest it, too much to distribute it, too much to walk away from it. So the wrong messaging, you have to break free from the wrong messaging. Please type in the comment box and say, I reject the poverty theology. I reject the poverty theology. The expression has been used as poor as a church rat. See that now. Where did that come from? Where? Where did it come from? So when you look at even the shadows and the types of the church in the Old Testament, the first major shadow and type of the church the preservation, redemptive dimension of the church was Noah's Ark. And Noah's Ark was built over a hundred. That was a hundred year project. Will be worth millions of dollars today. So, see, Noah building the Ark, what's this? we think about the Ark and we think about like this box of wood, the small thing. But when you think about the Ark, think about the fact that this was thousands and thousands of years ago 
and this was a postmodern technological invention. Come on, somebody. So the ark today, in today's world, would be like a super tech, high tech, ultra tech ocean liner. That's what it would be like. So imagine you today, in today's world, building an ocean liner. Can poverty do that? <laughs> How many millions of now would you need? Let's think of the tabernacle in, in the wilderness. How, how much do you think went into building tabernacle? How about the temple that, that Solomon built? How, how much do you think that costs? The itinerant ministry of Jesus. How much do you think it costs to have at least 12 men with you all the time? Bang, you are bankrolling them and all of that. Where did we get the poverty message from? Where did we get the poverty theology from? Now people will be like, oh, I don't want to be materialistic. Well, for most people, they don't even have enough yet. <laughs> Before we start dealing with materialism, of course, materialism is a key issue. I'm not downplaying it. But I just want to speak to somebody who's been feeling guilty or who's been raised to expect little from life. Who's been raised not to aspire to generate more through their own giftedness and their own competence, who's been raised to be satisfied with lack, not anymore, in the name of Jesus Christ. I want you to please understand that that message is wrong, but even the things that God uses to describe righteousness, let me give you a few of the things that God used to describe righteousness, which are an indication that God is not a poor God or a, <laughs> a cheap God. So the Bible says trees shall be called trees of righteousness. He does not say shrubs of righteousness. He does not say grasses of righteousness. He does not say twigs of righteousness. He said trees. Trees represent wealth. Because from trees you can have timber. From timber you have furniture and furnishing, right? You have fruits from which you can have food or you can have fruit pie or fruit juice, right? You have branches, which means you have accommodation for things like squirrels and, and things like birds. So a tree represents wealth as well. It says trees of righteousness. Another thing he used to describe righteousness is that breastplate of righteousness. A breastplate was an expensive piece of armor. It's still expensive right now to even have breastplate of bronze or steel or iron. It was something that was made out of metal. So when God describes righteousness, he does not use cheap things. Come on, people. Not only that, he said after here, when we do our work well, we'll receive a crown of righteousness. He didn't say a face cap of righteousness. So even in, in the riches of righteousness or the definitions of righteousness, we see the richness of God. This is not to reduce righteousness to riches or to material things, but to help you understand how God thinks. God does not think poor. And I'll show you some more. Somebody say, I don't serve a poor God. Oh, come on, someone to type right now. Say, I do not serve a poor God. Therefore, I am not a poor son. I am not a poor child. My father is not poor. My father is not a beggar. My father doesn't take a load. My father does not leave at the beck and call of other people or at the benevolence of other people. My father is rich. His resources, got the cattle and a thousand hills, silver and gold that belong to him. They belong to him. I do not serve a poor God. Please let me propose this to you. Don't reduce the promises of God to your level. Rise up in faith to the promises of God. For many of us, the major challenge for this is that too many people around us were making a case for poverty. Too many. Our parents made a case for poverty. The government made a case for poverty. Mentors made a case for poverty. But today I come by the hammer with the hammer of God and I break every case for poverty in your life. I scatter it. You are a child of God. You are a child. You are a child of God. Your father owns the universe. Your days of making a case for poverty, they are over. If you're connected to this house, you're living by this revelation, not many days from now. Not only will you be generating more than enough for yourself, you'll be distributing. You'll become an active agent, agent an ambassador, plugged into the supply system of God for, your, for the earth. That messaging is wrong. Let me show you a couple of Bible verses. Proverbs 14 verse 20. Proverbs 14 verse 20. It says, the poor man is hated <laughs> even by his own neighbor. But the rich has many friends. It says, the poor man is hated even by his own neighbor. But the rich has many friends. I want to pick on the word hatred there. Now the Bible says, God is love. And Solomon says, the poor man is hated. In other words, poverty increases hatred. Now, if poverty increases hatred, he said, when people are poor, they hate themselves. When people are poor, they hate the country. When people are poor, they hate people who are rich sometimes, right? They hate on them, haters. That's where, part of what we use the expression, haters. 
They hate their parents. They hate their nationality. They hate. So poverty increases hatred, but God is love. So if poverty increases hatred, why do you think that God will endorse poverty, which increases something that he is not? When the plan of God is that for him to feel all things with the fullness of himself, by extension with the fullness of the administration of love, why would he endorse poverty, which opposes him because it engenders hatred? Does that make sense? Let me give you another one. Proverbs 19 verse, verse 17. He who has pity on the poor lends to the Lord and he will pay back what he has given. He says that when you pity the poor, when you do good to someone who is poor, God says you are lending to me, to the Lord. <laughs> and that God will pay back. In other words, wait a minute. Let me use some examples. Let me use Lodu as an example, right? If I say anyone who gives Lulu money, anybody who helps Lulu is giving me a loan, is lending me. If you give Lulu money, you're lending PDAMs and PDAMs will pay you back. What's the implication of that? The implication of that is that Lulu's well-being or my or welfare is my responsibility or Lulu has an allocation with me that he has not received yet. So if you bail him out, you are helping me help him. In other words, I have resource for Lolu even though he has not gotten it yet. Come with me, come with me, come with me. So when it says that when you help the poor, you are lending to the Lord, the word, the implication of that is that the poor actually has resource with God, but he has not received it or he has not been taught how to receive it or he has not aligned with the system of receiving is like having money in the bank but you never show up with the right check or with the right ATM card and so someone who helps you have an ATM by giving you 2,000 naira is only supporting you but you still have money in the bank God is saying I have a provision plan even for the poor so when you give to the poor you are not inventing something that does not exist you are only helping to facilitate the supply because they are more comfortable with aligning themselves with you than aligning themselves with me. Oh my God, I've said a lot. I hope somebody got that. <laughs> this is one of the problems with poverty and begging. That people who are poor and who beg oftentimes believe more in humans' ability to meet their needs than God's ability to release supply to them. I, I, I hope somebody's getting You must get this. Because it says that when you give to the poor, you lend to the Lord. In other words, God says, I'm indebted to the poor. The poor has resource with me. I have created it. The problem is not that I'm wicked. The problem is that they do not know how to align themselves, how to work the system to receive it. You might have to chew on this a little longer. So the first thing is the messaging in your mind must change. You must intentionally debunk the myths, the ideas and those things in your mind that have made you comfortable with poverty. Number two, the models in your life. The reason many people never come to the place of prosperity is that they have the wrong models in their lives. Who are you surrounded by? For many of us, we didn't have very good money models. For many of us, our parents were not great money models. Some of our parents did all they could, they did their best, but in the area of finances, many of them were not particularly great money models. And I wish I could tell you some of the reasons why that is so and why that is also not their fault in on most occasions, right? For many of us, our teachers, the people we respect that gave us valuable wisdom in academia and education, they were not great money models. Think about your teacher, teachers that taught you what you now know in maybe banking and finance and law, in medicine, architecture and accounting, in biz admin, in media. The teachers who taught you how rich were they? Many of your teachers struggled. They had like oversized shirts, trousers that were blowing in the wind, holy shoes, that's shoes with holes. I'm not talking about the artwork and righteousness, but holes in the shoes and who struggled. Maybe tongue tie that was like a, a thread around the neck. I mean no disrespect, but I want to paint the picture in your mind. Now, if that was your teacher who taught you much of what you knew, let me also tell you something. A part of your subconscious mind at some point possibly began to attribute wisdom with poverty. Sometimes. Oh, my. So the money models in your life 
must change the supply models in your life. What are your pictures of possibility? The models in your life are some of your strongest pictures of possibility. They are the people who paint the picture of your future to you. They don't have to say, oh, you're going to be poor. But if they were not well resourced, somewhere in your subconscious mind, you began to downplay. You began to say to yourself, to say to yourself let me not hope for too much. Let me not expect too much. You begin, what are the money models in your life? Who are the money models in your life? Who are the financial mentors or financial inspirers? What are the more? You must take charge of that. Now, a lot of people say, oh, as a believer, I don't want to be rich. <laughs> oh, my goodness. There is nothing pious about poverty. Poverty is not a fruit of the spirit. Poverty is not a reflection of spirituality. You have to understand that. Poverty is not a sign of spiritual seriousness or spiritual superiority. Poverty is not a sign of spiritual wisdom. Poverty is not a sign of spiritual excellence. Poverty is not a sign of spiritual stance or gravitas or weight. Poverty is not the SI units of spirituality. Poverty is, watch this, oftentimes a sign of ignorance, the result of laziness, or the outcome of the brokenness of human systems. See that? There are three major things, three major things that produce poverty. Number one, ignorance. Number two, laziness. And number three, brokenness of the system. So maybe war, maybe uh, harsh economic realities. As a breakdown in human systems, maybe the greed of men, theft, somebody scams the other person, takes all their money. All those things are not the usual. God did not design it to be so. So please lose that thing in your mind. By the way, let's look at the models in the Bible. If I was to ask you, type for me right, right now, who are your models? Type the model, the Bible, as in Bible models, type it in the comment books. I bet, type, 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 type. I bet that right now somebody's typing Abraham. I bet that right now, guess what? Somebody is typing David. I bet that right now somebody's typing Moses. Somebody's typing Joseph. Somebody's typing Jesus. Of course, type Jesus, but type another name apart from Jesus. I bet that right now somebody's typing Paul. That right now somebody's typing Peter. Right now, right? The apostle. Somebody's typing. I bet that right now somebody's typing all those names. Lydia, Esther, yeah? Esther. Deborah, Ruth, can I ask you a question? How many of those Bible models were poor in the Bible? How many of them? Come on, help me. Help me. Was Abraham poor? <laughs> Was David poor? I can't hear your no. I can't hear you shouting that no with intensity, with definition. Was Joseph poor? Was Joseph poor? Was Joe poor? Was Noah poor? Were the apostles poor? Yes, there were sins of their lives. Where some of them were poor, but I'll read to you that Paul says, These hands have provided my own necessities. He says, I did not convert your silver and your gold. Why? I had my own resources. Paul, the busiest man in the Bible, was not a beggar and did not rely on the benevolence of other people to take care of his household or his family. So, where did we get this from? If God used Moses, who bankrupted a whole nation. <laughs> Do you know why Pharaoh came after Israel? Pharaoh didn't come after Israel because <laughs> Pharaoh didn't come after Israel because uh, you know, he was just angry. The major reason Pharaoh came after Israel was because they took the wealth of Egypt. God commanded that they should ask the Egyptians for their wealth. They cutted out 400 years worth of labor or thereabout. <laughs> All the things that their great-grandfathers had worked for. Their great-grandfathers, their great-great-great-great-grandfathers, they took the gold, they took the silver, they took the choice elements and took them out. Was Moses a poor man? You don't build that kind of tabernacle with poverty. There's certain things that cannot be built in your life or through your hands as long as you don't change the money models in your life. The apostles were not poor. How do I know? Because the Bible says that the people brought the resources from the apostles. They brought the, what they had to the apostles' feet and the apostles were able to distribute. You don't distribute nothing. You distribute something. You don't distribute in poverty. You distribute in supply. So they had supply. Paul had that by experience. He said, my God shall supply all your need." According to his riches and glory through Christ Jesus. So who says to you that material supply is not connected to spiritual riches? Who says that? Paul said 
my God will supply all your need according to his riches and glory. So according to the riches of God and glory, there are allocations, there are disbursements, there are streams of supply. God, somebody you've been hustling, you've been working hard, you've been laboring under a spell of wrong teaching, wrong theology, and wrong models. But today I come as an amplification of the voice of God over your life and in your heart. And I proclaim that your models are changing. Your realities are changing. Your expectations are changing. Your outlook is changing. Your perspective is changing. Everything that the Lord has spoken to you will come to pass. I break those chains of poverty. Still struggling with this revelation and this reality. I cut them in pieces. I smash them asunder. And I proclaim that the fire and the finger of God. You enter into a new space where you see new possibilities. Where you dream new dreams. Where you walk in the abundance of God when you thrive and flourish in all that God has ordained for you somebody shout yes I receive it oh yes I didn't hear the type that in the comment box put a flaming emoji in the comment box put a dance emoji in the comment box put a heart emoji in the chat room right now high five somebody tag them and high five them and say I'm not going to settle for less than a longer my biblical models were not poor why should I stay poor the Bible says even in the midst of adversity that Paul was a tent maker don't think when you think tent maker, you have to equate the Bible models to what we have today. A tent maker in Bible times is a real estate merchant or a real estate mogul or businessman. So Paul was into real estate, people. I hope you're getting this. You have to get this. You have to get this. He was into real estate. Think about that. Let me just show you another thing about how I know that Jesus was not poor. Let me show you something. Apart from the fact that when he was a baby, he got gifts that most people never get throughout their 70, 80, 90 years. Gold, myrrh, frankincense with men from the east, wise people who knew how to honor kings. <laughs> they brought that because they heard that a king had been born. So they came with gifts for a king. It was not a tiny little piece of gold. It was abundant. It was supply. Such that when his parents emigrated to Africa, Egypt, to preserve him from the onslaught of Herod, they had enough resources in the foreign land. Where did that money come from? I would argue that the bulk of it came from the gold, myrrh, and frankincense that have been given to Jesus. Because God gives you supply before the enemy unleashes attack. His attack. The Lord makes provision. But let me show you something else in his adult life and his adult ministry. If you go with me to the book of Luke chapter 8 real quick. Luke chapter 8. Somebody needs to see this. From verse 1. After this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another. So it was itinerant. Proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him. Verse 2. And also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary called Magdalene. From whom seven demons had come out, Joanna, the wife of Chusa, the manager of Herod's household, Susanna, and many others. Now look at the next line. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. Sorry, I was reading from the NIV. Let me see if I'll read it from the uh, KJV. NKJV. Luke 8, let me just speak the second verse now. Our second verse says, and certain women... Who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene. Out of whom had come seven demons. By the ministry of Jesus. Or by the sowing of Jesus. By sowing. I'm talking about planting valley. In other people's lives. And Joanna the wife of Chusa. Verse 3. Herod steward. And Susanna. And many others. Many others. Who provided for him. From their substance. Many others. So Jesus had. People in his life, partners in his life, he had individuals in his life that saw the value of his ministry, the value of his impact, the value of, let me use the word sowing, because sowing is not just about money, of his time, of his energy, of his wisdom, of his compassion, and they blessed the resource they supported. He did not beg them, they gave him. He didn't need to beg them. How do I know he didn't need to beg them? Because people give you money and resources, especially when they know that you don't need it. See, need does not breed supply. Vision attracts supply. Need does not breed supply. Vision attracts supply. 
Value attracts supply. Are you seeing this now? So let's change all those money models of piety from poverty. That's not your portion. I proclaim concerning somebody. Yes, I dare to say this. There's somebody watching this right now. You will be the first millionaire in your family. I'm not talking about a millionaire. I'm talking about a million dollars. In the name of Jesus Christ, as many as will align themselves with this, with the right attitude, the right heart and disposition, may the streams of supply remain unlocked for you. Not only will they be unlocked for you, you will know exactly how to position yourself to take advantage of the resources that your father has created and to be able to add value in the systems of men, in the way that is commercially viable, in the way that you attract everything that you need and become a distributor on God's behalf. Let your amen resound like thunder. If you know you're going to be a, a multi-billionaire for kingdom's sake, if you know that this is not about you feeding on it and feasting on it, it's about you taking care of the orphans and the and the women who have been abused and, and the beggars on the streets. We have to have that kind of mindset. So Jesus was not a poor person. If many poor supplying, influential people, how could it then be poor? How could it then be poor? Let me show you something. People talk about Abraham and they say this. That, oh, you know, but Abraham, the father of faith, Abraham, um, you know, the thing about Abraham is that, um, um, oh, Abraham, and the thing about Abraham, <laughs> people say all this kind of interesting things. That Abraham was already rich before God called him. Given he was rich before God called him. But after God called him, he was not only rich, he became increasingly prosperous and he was now blessed in all things. Let me read the Bible for you. Genesis 13 verse 2. Genesis 13 verse 2. Abraham was rich in livestock, in silver, and in gold. This is the chapter after God makes a proclamation of the covenant in Genesis chapter 12. Now we are not told that it was the covenant in chapter 12 that produced Chapter 13, the results of chapter 13, which was now that Abraham was rich in livestock in silver and in gold. We're not told that it was the blessing of God, okay? But, in Genesis 24 verse 1, it says, Now Abraham was old. This is after he has now walked with God for years and years. Well advanced in age. And the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. Do you see the difference? Genesis 13 2. Abraham was rich in some things. He was rich in livestock, in silver, and in gold. He was not rich in all things. <laughs> but when he walks with God, when he aligned with God's prosperity system, what the Lord did for him, what the Lord gave to him, was like a joke. Or rather, rather what he had before his walk with the Lord was like a joke compared to what the Lord gave, gave him. One of the major things that God gave him so much more of after he started walking with God was land was real estate. And I don't know why the Lord has brought me to this point again the second time. But in this moment, let your eyes be open. Begin to invest in land or real estate. Either as a part owner, a co-owner, whatever it is. Because the earth is the Lord's. The land is the Lord's. And there is a piece of the earth that the Lord has occasioned for you, designed for you. Somebody say amen to that. That amen is a little low. It's a little leap. It's a little lifeless. Somebody say amen to that. <laughs> So Jesus bought out abundance for us. Now, if prosperity was a bad thing, let me tell you what. If prosperity was a bad thing, I'll tell you what. After God called Abraham, maybe God wouldn't have even called a rich person if prosperity was injurious to the calling, right? God wouldn't have even called a rich person. Let's, let's just relieve him of the pressure of, you know, the prosperity, the distraction of his prosperity. Let's not call him. But God called Abraham who was already rich in some things. Now, if prosperity and riches were a bad thing, or if they were inimical to the calling, injurious to the calling, God would have insisted that Abraham should lose all his wealth. But God never did. In fact, God gave him more. Of course, God tested him. And we'll talk about that as we go along. But God gave him more. Somebody shout, I receive more. Somebody shout aloud that I receive more. I need to run. The number three thing, number th the third dimension that we have to pay attention to is the mind. So don't forget, number one, the message. Number two, the models. Number three, the mind. The mind, the mind, the mind. The mind is so important. And I want us to see the connection between thinking and our, real, and our lives, our, our manifest lives, our experiences in the world. In the book of Philippians, if you see that now, the book of Philippians chapter 4, 
and from verse 6 it says, Finally, brethren, or from verse 6 it says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Verse 8 says, Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, Whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on those things. Another one says, think on those things. <laughs> the things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. So here is Paul writing to the Philippians and saying, see, it's whatever things that are noble, things that are true. I want to think about it. Is poverty true? Poverty is a fact in many nations, but it's not the truth that God ordained. There is nothing that we see in the original story of creation, which is the template for what God wanted all of mankind to operate. He wanted Adam to extend that to tend. Adam didn't create this garden, but Adam was to tend and extend the garden. You see that? He was not to pretend. <laughs> That it could make a garden it was to tend and extend that there's nothing that we see in that story or in the birth of jesus christ that tells us that god delights in poverty so that's not true we don't meditate on poverty we don't apply our minds to that so whatever things are, are noble is it noble to the poor is there nobility in poverty not in my books whatever things are just is poverty justifiable from god's standpoint has it not made enough for everyone's need has it not supplied more than enough? Is poverty lovely? Is poverty pure? <laughs> is poverty lovely? Is there anything lovely about a starving child? About a begging pastor? About a derelict home? About a, a wife that has to sleep with somebody she's not married to, to raise money for the rent for her home? About a widow who has to come somebody or a widower who has to go into betting, aiding and abetting negativity as well? Is there anything praise what? So why do I, why do we, some of us, allow our minds to make a case for poverty, to be comfortable with it? Number four, which is closely connected to the mind, is the meditations and the musings of our hearts. The meditations of, and the musings of our hearts. I need to run. See, God is more for certain, and what I want to realize about God is that the part of Him you meditate on the most is the part of Him that is expressed the greatest. The part of God, the revelation of God you meditate on the most is the part that is more often than not manifests the greatest in your life. So when you look at the life of David, David meditated on the delivering power of God. He meditated on victory. He spoke and sang about deliverance, about God coming through for him. What did we see in his life? More of God's deliverance. More of God's victory. More of God's breakthrough. More of God helping him. He sang a lot about the mercies of God. For you are good and your mercies endure forever. What do we see in his life? The mercy of God being expressed. What do we see in his life? The goodness of God being expressed. What do we see in his life? Because what you meditate on determines what you manifest in your life. So what are you meditating on? Some people are always musing and meditating on how much they don't have, how much money they don't have, how many bills they have. They are not meditating on what God has provided, what God has supplied. My God shall supply all my needs. Do you meditate on the problems or do you meditate on the promise? Do you meditate on poverty or do you meditate on God's prosperity system? Do you meditate on the economic system of the world that is broken, fragmented, and fractured? Or are you in tune, in sync, in alignment, in agreement, in obedience to the plan that God has put in place? For you never to beg again. Somebody shout, I'm changing my meditation. I'm changing my self-talk. I'm changing the musings of my heart. David said, let the thought, let the words of my mouth and meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Poverty is not acceptable before God's sight. That's why God said that if you give to the poor, you are loaning me. You extend the loan to me. Because poverty is not part of God's plan. <laughs> Number five. Money making methods and manuals. Your money making methods and manuals. So don't forget this now. We've looked at five things. Number one, the message has to change. Number two, your models have to change. Number three, your mind has to change. 
Number four, your musings and your meditations have to change. Number five, your money making methods. This is where many believers miss it. Actually, all the five, right? <laughs> money making methods. What do I mean by money making methods? In this place, you know what? What are you doing? This money making methods. You are saying to yourself, hmm. Um, if God wants to bless me with this thing, somebody is going to give it to me. God can give that to you. God can make that happen. But it's not the primary method. What's the primary method? God wants to engage your gifts. God wants to engage your giving. God wants to engage your creativity. God wants to engage your innovation. God wants to engage what you can do. Let me read something to you. And I cited it earlier in the book of Acts, right? Acts chapter 20. Let me take it from verse 32. So now, brethren, I commend you to God. This Paul speaking. I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. He says, I have coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. He says, I have not coveted any of that. Verse 30, 34. Yes, you yourselves know <laughs> that these hands have provided for my necessities and for those who were with me. I have shown you in every way by laboring like this. You see, Paul, Paul is my New Testament model apart from Jesus Christ. I feel like we have certain similarities in the way we think and the way we do things, right? I think so. And Paul is saying, I, I didn't cover your gold. I didn't cover your gold. You see, well, you yourselves, you know that my hands have provided for this necessity. Forget that it was Paul that said, my God shall supply all my needs. Yet Paul is saying that my hands have provided. In other words, my hands are also supply chains of heaven. My hands are also instruments by which God creates value in the earth. My hands are also involved in the process of God's prosperity system. Right. <laughs> so I've shown you by labor in every way that you must support the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. You know, many times when we quote this, it's more blessed to give than to receive. The only thing that comes to our mind is, Give money, give money, give money. But Paul does not start from the monetary place. He starts from the production place, okay? He starts from the production. He says, I'm involved in producing. The reason I'm producing is that God has given me hands. And apart from that, I want to support the weak. I delight in supporting the weak. Somebody say I'm plugged in. Somebody shout that say I'm plugged in. Somebody shout that say I'm plugged in. Real quick, let me run through. So then the question has to be, how do you align with God's prosperity system. I want you to please do this. Do this. Out of these five things, how many of them can you spot as the reasons you have struggled financially? How many of those five things? Messaging, models, mind, musings, and meditation, and the final thing, money-making methods. By money-making methods, in other words, do you have a business? Do you have a value creation system? Do you have something tangible that you are doing? Do you have? So put in the chat box right now. How many of them are you guilty of? How many of these five areas have you struggled? Type it right now. I want to see. I want to see. Yeah. I think the main people are, are, are going to type five. I think many people are going to be honest enough to say, I've struggled. I'm saying at different times in your life. I've struggled with all five. I've struggled with all four. I've struggled with all three. Do that real quick. Write it. I want, I want us to get practical. How many of those five things have you had challenges with? The messaging? Mm -hmm. The models? Uh huh. <laughs> the mind? Mind? The way you think about riches, abundance, money, and all of that. Musings and meditation and then money making methods. So if you don't have a, a job, if you don't have a business, if, you don't, if you're not diligent in the things you're doing, those are areas that you need to look at. Okay, have you done that? Now, which of the areas, which of those five areas, so that the first thing is, how many of the five have you struggled with? Next thing is, which of the five areas are you going to work on deliberately this week? By listening to those messages again, by calling somebody who can help you, by investing in the resource, by praying through, by writing out promises of provision. Which of them? Which of them are you going to look at? <laughs> Let us know, let us know, let us know. Alright, so how, how do I align myself 
with God's prosperity system. How? How does that happen? If God has a prosperity system, how do I ensure that I'm a partaker of it? Apart from addressing those five areas, apart from looking at those five things and working on them, is there anything else I can do? Doesn't the GPS guarantee my arrival? Here is the deal. The fact that you have the GPS does not guarantee your safe arrival at the destination. Hear this. You can have the GPS in your car. Have you tried to look at a place before, a destination before? You've tried in your mind. You're like, I'm going to get to this place no matter what happens. And you were asking to the right. You know all those people that describe it where I said, turn left, turn right, turn left again, turn left again, turn left again, and then you'll be left behind. <laughs> and you fall in prey to those kinds, kinds of drama before, but then you couldn't get to the place. So eventually you said, oh, have a GPS. So you put in the coordinates in the, on the map, Google Maps or Apple Map or whatever the map, right? You did that. And it says, uh, in 200 meters, turn right. In 300 meters, turn left. But when it, whenever it says 200 meters to the right, what did you do? They're like, no, 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 that place doesn't look like this road there. Let me drive on. Because you followed your own pattern, because you followed your own system, you did not get to the destination, even though you have the GPS. So God has a prosperity system, but many believers never arrive at the destination because they follow their own pattern, they follow their own mind, they follow their own feelings. The investment was bad and the spirit of God prompted you in your heart and said, don't put your money there. But you're like, no, it looks good. It's my friend and my brother, they do them. And my brother, they do them. And my auntie, they do them. And my uncle, get them. And now, they don't get your money. <laughs> you see that now? Now, this could be a painful thing, but many of us have learned very harsh and difficult lessons because we didn't align with the GPS. Now, what's the GPS? GPS, global positioning system. It gives you an aerial view. It has a vantage point. There are satellites in space that Google hooks up to and they can show you stuff that you can't see from where you are. While in God's prosperity system, God can see the future of investments better than any economic analyst, than any financial forecaster, than any futurist anywhere. Come on somebody, God can show you those things. He reveals secrets. According to what Daniel said, midnight hour. The Lord began to download things to Joseph and Daniel and it was those secrets that enriched them and empowered them to bring the people of God to a place of enthronement and freedom and authority even in, in the strange land. This explains why many believers end up poor. God has a prosperity system but they want to go their own way. Of salvation it is said that the road to life is narrow and there are few that find it. Of prosperity is a very similar concept. That God's prosperity system is not like the world's prosperity system. The world has their prosperity system, but the end of it is destruction and damnation and condemnation. God's prosperity system does not rob you of the sanctity of your soul. It does not give you money at the expense of your soul. So it's possible for the GPS to point you in a certain direction, but you still turn the wrong direction. Similarly, it's possible for God to lead you to a career, lead you to a business, lead you to give something, to sow something, but you turn a different direction. It is not the GPS's fault that you did not get there. It is your fault that you decided to move in a different direction. Some of us still here have enjoyed the fruit, the benefits of GPS and God's prosperity system. I want you to enjoy the same thing. Are you going to join me? Are you going to join us? Those of us who are making this commitment. And for many of us, we are like that person in secondary school with a suitcase with a combination lock. But then you've forgotten one, one number out of the four or five in the combination. You have to get all the numbers right if you're going to do it God's way. Some people love the path of working hard, but they don't love the part of honoring God with their substance. Some people love the part of honoring God with their substance, but they can't imagine giving to any pastor in this world or giving to any member of any church in this world or giving to the poor. They'll just be like, I work hard, go and work hard. You're not getting the combination right. Some people, they're very, very comfortable, you know, with the whole idea of giving to people, but they can't sow their lives. They will not do anything except it favors them directly. Some people are comfortable with saving their lives, but they lack financial wisdom. I hope that right now you can see the gaps. I hope that right now you can see the difference in your life. I hope that right now you can see that there's nothing wrong with the system, but there's everything wrong with your understanding and your alignment with it. But this teaching has come today to reposition you, to place you on track, so that you can work on those five areas, shifting the dynamics there, and also begin to apply these things. 
And if there was a way to reinforce this and to sequence this, and I think that's what we're going to do the rest of this week, we're going to pray through each of the seven areas. I'm thinking, I'm not sure what format will possibly pray midnight, midnight watch every day, 12, for about 15 to 30 minutes. But look out for the updates and the WhatsApp groups. Just going to pray through the seven areas so that it becomes a part. We'll pray through and also practice them. So it becomes a part of our lives. So the first day we pray for God's wisdom. Second day we ask for counselors and financial uh, teachers in our lives to show up resources and all of that. So that we can move forward. I am tired of seeing you beg wherever you are. I'm tired of you lacking money wherever you are. I'm tired of you waiting on the benevolence of other people. I'm tired of you crying, whining, trying to raise money all the time. There is a system that God has put in place and I'm committed to helping you. Walk through that process as I have over 10 years now, at least 10 years now, so that you also can begin to thrive and flourish. This is not about you being excessively wealthy. I'm not yet excessively wealthy. I'm not even currently wealthy by Forbes' def- definition of wealth. But I lack nothing, nothing good that my family desire for life and godliness, I'm not talking about opulence or exuberance. And I want you to begin to enjoy that. What I've taught you is what I know works. Glory to the Most High God. Can you make a commitment right now where you are? A commitment. Say, Lord, help me with this. I cannot be hearing this quality of teaching and remain the same. I cannot be connected to a house that is progressive and remain the same. I cannot see things happen around me, but then nothing is happening in my own life. I cannot do the Lord. I make a commitment today to rely on your grace and your strength. I make a commitment today to be in tune and sync with your will, with your word. I make a commitment today to be in alignment with what you have said. Thank you, Lord, for provision. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. We will work on this areas, God. We will work on this areas. We will work on this areas. We will take care of this areas. We will, God, pay attention to this. We'll, we'll be closely connected to this, God. Thank you, Lord, because the status is changing in the house. Thank you, Lord, because the shift is happening in the house. Thank you, Lord, because the minds are changing, the moods are changing, the models are changing, the money-making methods are being aligned with God-ordained, instructed businesses and work in the workplace, service the right way. Thank you, Lord. The spirit of poverty is permanently banished and broken from all of our families, our homes. We begin a new order of increase in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. generation is rising on an emerging generation of kings. To join this growing community of kings, visit www.kingdomcentral.org and send your full name and email address to 0908-123-4566. One more thing, someone you know needs this. Kindly share this how.